Hi, you're listening to Thoughtful Wellness Revolution, where we believe wellness isn't wellness if it's just for you. We're your hosts, Zara and Hien. And before we get started, please make sure to give us a five-star rating and review. Even though we're a podcast that believes in decolonizing, we're still bound to the algorithm. So every little bit that you can help us out, we really appreciate it. And we thank you for all the support. Let's get into it. Hey folks, today we're talking to the lovely Jenny Joseph, who is a Florida licensed midwife, president of Common Sense Childbirth Incorporated, a nonprofit organization located in Central Florida. What's on your mind today, Jenny? Hi, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you all. Um, So much is on my mind, but I think, you know, considering today's the last day of Black History Month, um, that always comes up. I mean, I've been in the United States now for 32 years born and raised in England, you might be able to tell, but having lived here this long, I'm still sort of, it's hard to figure out why we designated this one month out of an entire year. Every day, every month, every year is Black History Month as far as I'm concerned, because in the United States, that's how we got here. That's what this is. And so I am still trying to fit myself into being American as a Black woman, but also having had opportunity to grow, learn, be educated, practice my craft as a midwife in Europe and other countries. And, you know, again, having been here for 32 years, I've had quite of a struggle. It's been, it's not been easy, not been impossible, but it's been a journey. And so much of it is based on understanding the history, unraveling and unpacking that history, making sense of that history, and then trying to put together programs and resources to help support people who still to this day are suffering because of this history. So yeah, I mean, I'm a midwife, I catch babies, but that's not really what I do anymore. You know, my work has turned into finding ways to support folk structurally and institutionally and personally and in community to get to their best possible pregnancy, birth and postpartum experience. And that's what's on my mind. Always. (laughs) Um, Well, first and foremost, yes to everything you said. I think, wow, yeah, it's so important to remember the fact that every day, every month in this country should be about Black history because that is how we got to be where we are in this country and the recognition for that. And I'm sure there's a more eloquent way to put it all together, but I do want to bring it back a bit, I guess, to midwifery versus obstetrics and ask you a bit if you could uh, be woo-woo. Like uh, there's so much uh, anti-pseudoscience going on within the midwifery field. If you could talk to us a little bit about the differences and how we understand them. That's a great question, Zara. Thank you for that. And you know, what's interesting is even now, I still find myself having to stop even go further back than that and explain what midwifery is. 32 years later, I'm still being met, whoa, midwife, what's that? There isn't anywhere else in the entire world where that's a question because everybody knows what a midwife is everywhere else. And so midwifery in the United States has had its sort of fluctuations. It's grown, it's receded, it's disappeared altogether. It's been eradicated. Now it's in another resurgence. But because it has been through this sort of tumultuous ride, 
especially in the last hundred years, people nowadays don't actually really know what a midwife is. So first and foremost, a midwife is a healthcare provider, practitioner who supports women, mothers, people through pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and really through um, times between babies as well, women's healthcare. Obstetricians, on the other hand, at least in the rest of the world, handle complicated cases of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. They are trained and skilled, highly skilled, I might add, to do more deep work, um, more important work, more life-saving work, including surgery, such as cesarean section when it's needed, as far as managing and supporting pregnant people through the childbearing experience. So the two things have always been very distinct in my world, my British training, which I started in 1979. So I've been doing this a very long time. Yes, I'm an old lady. But when I arrived in the United States, I had no concept that obstetricians in the US would be doing normal birth. Obstetricians take care of all the normal cases. The majority of births in the United States are delivered by doctors, obstetricians, people trained in this, the art and science of delivering, of doing prenatal care and delivering babies. So when you look at that right there, you know there's a problem because now you have highly skilled folk who have great acumen and abilities to help when something goes wrong, but they are relegated to taking care of the normal and the boring. Now, if we go to the total other side of the spectrum, if you think about it, what have women been doing for millennia? Having babies, how do you think we all got here? It's like this sort of kind of fact that is so stark and real, yet we like to just brush it under the rug and join in with the drama of, oh, it's touch and go. Americans I'm talking about. Because again, most every other country and culture has not got a problem with midwifery being the first and foremost source of support for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So here we have this fear, I call it the fear-based industry of childbirth in the United States. And I put it in those terms simply because most people, and maybe even yourselves, a pregnancy ensues whether you're planning or not planning and panic stations, Woof. oh my God, the, the test is positive, knees go to jello, heart starts pounding, what am I gonna do? I gotta find a doctor, I gotta find this, I gotta do that, right, fear. And that fear is perpetuated, I say on purpose, because there's money being made, money changing hands, systems and structures that are set up to manage the fear, manage the panic, and to also create the specialty around birth that in any other medical discipline is not necessary because guess what? Birth is a normal life event. It's kind of like getting your period or having constipation. Stuff that happens to your body happens and for the most part will be resolved because it's part of your body, right? Menopause shows up. We don't have any control over these things, but this is what happens because part of life. So where we have taken on and in, put interventions in play that have actually modified not only how we feel, but physiologically as well, how we actually birth we now see the detriment of that in the statistics that once again are also um, specific to the United States. There's no accident here. We have the worst maternal and infant mortality and morbidity outcomes in any developed nation. 
We also happen to be the most resourced nation in the entire world. Yet women are dying in childbirth in the US, sometimes higher rates than some of the developing countries. How shameful, how shameful. But why is that? Because we can't behave. We keep interfering. We cut more than, well, let's say one in three, that's the statistic currently of women are being delivered by cesarean section. So what does that mean? That people on this body of land have teeny tiny pelvis and the babies don't fit? Like, come on. What is it that justifies surgeries to that level to provide women with supposedly safe care, yet our statistics show we're more at risk of dying or being harmed, disabled, or um, unsafe post-delivery due to these surgical interventions, the pushing of um, forcing of labors through inductions, the um, all of these other factors that have played into our poor outcomes. So when you sit back a minute, take a look at it in the cold, hard light of day and realize, no, something's wrong here. Something smells bad. Unfortunately, what it is, I'm just going to say it out loud. I mean, you know, you can kick me off your podcast if you like, but it's the medical industrial complex. This is on purpose. This has been set up. And it began when the midwives were eradicated in the mid um, 20th century. So let me just flip back a little bit further because historically it's important to recognize midwifery came to the United States with the African enslaved women. They were the mainstay of maintaining the plantation and the commodity that was human beings. The midwives had special favor because they were keeping the master's stock strong, healthy. The midwives also continued after slavery ended and Jim Crow and reconstruction came into play because they were, they were the ones trained and able to deliver. They delivered black and white. They delivered most everybody, not just south of the United States, across the United States. The immigrants brought their midwives with them. The European immigrants, all of the immigration, there was never a shortage of, well, who's gonna deliver this baby? That wasn't the problem. Everybody had their babies at home. Everybody knew where their midwife was. They knew how to find and access their midwives. But midwifery, just like everything else in America was racialized. In 1921, when the Shepherd Towner Act was passed, which was an act of parliament, which said, we need to address the infant mortality problem in the South. The white public health nurses were deployed and sent to the South. The white health departments were opened up and the midwives were eradicated. It was called the midwife problem. The physicians took over. They started trying to get women into the hospitals for delivery. But of course, black women and people of color weren't allowed in those hospitals. Segregation. We haven't come much further. It doesn't, you know, if you don't realize how we got here, you don't, you don't see it. But when you do realize how we got here, you can see that again, 90% of births are managed by obstetricians and 90% of people deliver in the hospital. There's a real interesting conundrum here because if you go outside of that system, you know, again, more fear, while well, you're gonna take your life in your hands, 
What's wrong with you? Don't you care about your baby? Don't you have insurance? All of these tropes show up. And so it's not so much about the science, like you posed in the question, Zara, but more about the politics. It's about classism. It's about racism. It's about sexism. It's about discrimination against marginalized people. It's about power. Thank you. Oh, please keep going. No, I just want to say <laughs> to voice it so definitively of like, this is the problem we value and appreciate. And also you will never be kicked off our podcast for talking about the medical industrial complex. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just learned so much in that. I know, Hien, I'm sure you did as well. I, I mean, I knew about midwifery being a practice that came with people, that it's a thing that we have had forever. And it, it does really, definitely in this country, it ties to racism. You were just telling us about uh, segregation and Jim Crow laws and the, the midwifery problem. And I think it, it also served, it seems, as a way to almost diminish communities for women and people who give birth, you know what I mean? And because if you, if you cut off, if you just go to a doctor's office, that's a you event by yourself, that's, that's the system now. The system used to be your grandma knew, her grandma knew, your aunt knew, so-and-so, you know, everyone has someone to be with them. So I, I really, I would love if you could speak a bit more well, I really, what we, I really want to ask you about is to talk more about your work and being a midwife, but I do, I am curious about your thoughts around what it means uh, to be, for birthing, to, as midwifery and birth work, to be community oriented. Yeah, well, I have made my life's work, my American life's work, about the reinstatement of community midwives. That's where I felt like I could make the most difference. Now, when I first got here, I was all about the individual care. You know, I was running a home birth practice. Um, I used to travel all around Central Florida and support mothers who chose home birth. And what I noticed about the mothers that were asking for my care and support, they were well educated. They were very affluent. They had agency and power of their own. They were supported in their choices. Many of these were also homeschooling or doing things where, you know, they were like, taking on much more responsibilities around health and pregnancy and birth. And so I was happy to work with them. I was thrilled actually, but what I noticed was I didn't see the diversity. I didn't see the, um, the demographic that I really wanted to serve because I knew those outcomes were out there. So over the course of years, I've opened a birthing center where we had more options for people who were low income, for example, or on Medicaid to encourage them into the practice. And there has been that shift but not the great rush that I was expecting. But where it all changed for me, I'm gonna think now back how far along it was. It was probably early 2000s that I, it dawned on me, hold up. Where I'm having resistance to people choosing the choices that I thought were best for them, such as having a midwife birth, having an out of hospital birth, where the resistance was showing up was that people on, in general, because of what they've learned or the society that we're in now, like you say, the, extended family is long gone, they have felt that they were compelled to be in the hospital for their birth. So in other words, the opposite was true. Being out of the hospital was not a safe choice for them. And so as a midwife, I was like, for a while, like, oh, but no, let me explain, let me educate, let me cajole, let me beg and plead. And I realized, no, stop that. 
it is about choice at the end of the day. It's about self-determination. And so wherever you feel you want to be, I want to support that. So I created a clinic that said, you have your baby where you want. Have it by the side of the road. Not my problem. I want to help you get through the pregnancy, get to full term, come out the other end, ready to parent, ready to um, feed your baby, ready to get back into your life, you know, move forward with your family. And it doesn't matter where you have the baby. And it truly didn't matter. And I tell you why this was the biggest turning point for me. It opened the floodgates. Everybody wanted that care. That was the birth of what I call now the easy access clinic. So the fact that was one, you didn't have to designate where you were delivering. I wasn't bothered. If you wanted a hospital birth, I'm going to support you. And then you're going to get a hospital birth. So I set up that my patients could deliver in the hospital with the physicians, the OBs that were on call and who would receive them and take care of them on my behalf. I didn't have to be the midwife in the hospital. The other piece though, and this is really important because this speaks to the social and economic and political side of birth. I started a program, it was nonprofit, and I still have a nonprofit organization to this day, where the mission is no one turned away. <gasps> Imagine that. And everybody thought I was crazy. What do you mean? You can't afford to do that. That's not right. If you can't have a, afford to have a baby, you shouldn't be having one, you should make them pay. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, the baby's in the belly already. <laughs> the choice has been made. They are moving forward. So now what are you gonna do? Have them suffer? Come on. So we opened up from the perspective of you choose where you want to deliver. You choose what you want. We'll stand with you. We'll help you. You will not get shut out because you don't have the funds or the insurance. And that set me on a path of learning how to help people get on the stinking Medicaid. That in of itself is a whole big thing. We are now expert at helping people get through these bureaucratic hurdles to get their insurance coverage that they well deserve. And actually that is their right. Right, so we figured those kinds of things out. We took on how do you navigate, you know, these systems that are so unwieldy that even the people in them don't know how to navigate them, right? We took that on. We took on bring everybody you can find, bring your neighbor. If somebody dropped you off, they get to come in and listen to the heartbeat as well so that we can start reconnecting and building family and community around you because you're having a baby. Like what else would you do? Right? So in doing things that way, it grew past midwifery. It grew into what I now have as my four tenets of my program, access, connections, knowledge, empowerment. And what we saw with that, and this is the part that really, I just wanna stress, at the other side of this kind of approach, our statistics were blown out of the water. We did not have premature babies anymore. Black women, Latinas were going to term. What? We didn't do anything fancy. We weren't doing special high-risk obstetrics and you know, extra sonograms and more into, we were like, look, sis, what's up? Okay, let's see if we can fix it. Can we work together? You're okay. You're safe. Don't worry, we got you. And between us all, we would troubleshoot our way through all the crazy, get everybody off the ledge, take a breath, Let's just have this baby. Let's just celebrate this child. Let's build community. And that got us full-term babies, healthy weight babies. Our average babies are seven and a half pounds. 
out of skinny butt ladies you would look at you know look like little twigs stick insects that's you know, skin and bone, you're like, where? Or overweight, because this whole, oh my God, obesity, she's so fat, look, how could she put herself at risk? Stop it. Stop it. Unreasonable, unnecessary, blaming people and putting it all on them when it's the system that is at fault. It is the structure that is at fault. It's the institutional way of being that is the United States of America. That is the reason for the statistics. It's not because of the women. It's not because you're black. It's not because of your race. It's racism. So now we have this work where we open up clinics. We have a Spanish language clinic. We used to have a Portuguese language clinic, but we lost our Portuguese practitioner right now. But we work to make sure our care is safe, that there is quality, care, that it matches what you need individually, that it's culturally congruent, that we are centering mama baby, mama baby family, community. That's our center. We are doing that as our work. We're working around whatever it is that you need to get you to the other side. And here's the thing, everybody wins, because guess what, we love it. Like I am still sky high 40 years into midwifery doing this work because we love it, because it's so rewarding, because it's so empowering, because you see those women and people transform in front of your very eyes. You see families just flourish. People are coming back with big fat chunky children in their arms breastfeeding and say, look, Miss Jenny, look, look what happened. You can't beat that with a stick. And they're doing that inside of the system. They're going into the same hospitals that are turning out these statistics and they are winning. Our COVID year, we did um, our statistics for 2020 and we had 456 patients that year that came through the Easy Access Clinic of which we had one premature baby who survived and we had a 17% C-section rate. Now, you know, with COVID, every five minutes somebody was being cut everybody's doula and supporter was being shut out at the door. It was madness for a while through the COVID year. But our mothers got up there and got through and came out the other end without a, without a scratch. The average C-section is anywhere from 30 to 40%, 17. And we are not even going to the hospital with these people. They are going and fighting for themselves, spending for themselves. They know what to expect. They're educated, they're ready to go. So this work has become more than just a midwifery journey. I still do midwifery. I still have a birth center. I provide out-of-hospital birth for people who choose out-of-hospital birth. I have a midwifery school. I train midwives to do midwifery work in the model that I do, which is community midwifery, like the old midwives, the granny, so-called granny midwives. That's what they did. That's what the Native American midwives did and still do. That's what the indigenous midwives did and still do. That's what the rest of the entire world midwives do, except for us. And look. So, did I answer your question? <laughs> you answered my question in a way I couldn't even like thought that you would have answered it in, in such a great way. Um, wow. Um, it is just amazing to hear how uh, 
like the actual statistics yeah. of what you're making happen with the work you're doing, because it is like, I know it to be amazing because my mom used to work with you. I have known you for two thirds of my life. I don't love saying that number, but here we are. Um, and I think, I think to how many times I've either had friends come to me to ask me about midwifery, not they're like reproductive stuff, or I've been able to support people. And those are in minor ways. Like I know someone I follow on the internet, um, <laughs> she is pregnant and was posting about, gosh, I just want to eat canned tomato soup and canned vegetables. And so I sent her a thing because I know that from your work, it was just like, hey, I think you might have an iron deficiency. You should go get tested. Surprise, surprise she in fact had an iron deficiency. And I know that from stories my mom used to tell me from working with you. So it is like, there's such a community aspect to birth work and reproductive health and reproductive work and community work that I think your, I don't know, your work has a way of really bringing that back in and it's really beautiful. Um, yeah, Hien, did you have a question? You look like you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I just feel like First of all, thank you for sharing so much passionately. Like I just really, you know, Zara and I were pretty blunt here on our podcast too. So the way that you shared the history with us so passionately, the way that you share about your work so passionately and the way you like really named just the systems and the structures that we're in being the problem. Like I'm so grateful for that because even though I know that, and Zara knows that, and I think most of our listeners know that it's easy to forget and feel like it's our fault. Because something that struck with me was when you were talking about the way there's like a fear-based sort of mentality or vibe with thinking about birth here in the U.S. And I feel like that is so true because when I think about it, it just sounds so scary and so stressful. So like, I'm not a parent, you know? And like, when I think about like, oh, but if I were to get pregnant, like I, it's like what you said, I'm thinking about it being like super freaking out and being like, I'm not sure my body is capable. And like, I'm scared of this and that. And I just love the way you talked about it to let me know that it's actually really natural and normal. Yes. And whatever fear-based thing I had is probably because it's so linked to the medical industrial complex because it tends to be about like the problems, right? Like the obstetrics um, going to with like the, the complicated issues and like saving lives and stuff. And so I associate with that of like, oh my gosh, I could die giving birth like that, like my mind just goes to like the worst case scenario. And, and, and now I, I kind of know how it got there. Yes. Well, Hien, I think it's really important to acknowledge that and name it well as well, because we tend to brush so much stuff under the rug, but I do want to bring another point. And that is that fear is also on the obstetric side. It's not their fault. Okay. We have to have some compassion just as we do for families. And I do, I feel that we should have some compassion for the providers. What am I to have to work inside of a structure that isn't of your doing, but is perpetuated? We send these young folk off to medical school and we beat them down. They go in with such energy, verve and liveliness about I'm gonna help save the world. And they come out downtrodden, beaten down, scared out of their wits, scared of being sued, scared of losing everything they've worked for scared of being ostracized. They are scared. They don't trust because they can't trust. Inside of the system that they're working with is also detrimental to them, their health and their well-being. You talk about moral injury. Imagine every day having to do something that you know is wrong, but that's what they do. 
this is what you have to do if you want to keep your job. So I have learned over the years not to just be casting blame everywhere, wishy-washy, thinking it through and understanding the dilemma these folk are facing because the structures are in place. So I'm gonna talk about Serena Williams real quick because she's used to this now. Everybody's talking about Serena and she shared her story and I'm grateful she did because she didn't have to. But Serena nearly died having her baby in the middle of a hospital and her wealth and celebrity did not protect her because she still has black skin. So imagine being the medical provider inside of that. Imagine you're the one, the nurse that told her no. Why do you think the nurse felt empowered to tell her no, go back in your room, there's nothing wrong with you, or worse to that effect, for days until somebody decided to listen and do the CAT scan that saved her life, that showed the, the blood clots that she had told them she had were there. But imagine you are the provider in the midst of, right? Because the acceptance in the structure is that institutionally the racism is embedded and felt and condoned. That's a mess, especially if you're aware of it. So you probably know there's been the last few years this rush to do implicit bias training. So we can all individually check our biases at the door. Yeah, right, you can check all day long, but the system still says uncheck them and get on with doing what you're supposed to do so we can make more money because it's a business. Okay, so we have both sides of this problem here. Everybody's losing out right now. That's why I said earlier, you know, in my world, in my work, everybody wins because we're happy. We are free of the institution, but that's not realistic. You can't just up and change an institution up, make it all kumbaya and friendly so that everybody's feeling good. That's not either going to happen. We need to look at this in more in-depth and real practical ways, right? You build hospitals with massive NICUs, neonatal intensive care units. Why? So you can put black and brown babies in them. That is the purpose of having a NICU. So you don't actually want to create anything that stops the prematurity that fills your NICU. Let's be realistic. So how about being the physician that's fighting with micro preemies all day, every day and feeling overwhelmed with that and hurt and, you know, just downtrodden, but knowing that that's the reason the NICU exists and new hospitals keep getting built with new NICUs. We build a maternity hospital and how many obstetric theater, um, you know, operating theaters, ORs do you build? You build a whole slew so you can keep cutting people. <laughs> like it's not rocket science, but it's hard to just call it what it is. And it leaves everybody in this sort of helpless, miserable downtrodden place. We lose the joy, which is there inherently in birth, not only for the birthing family, but for their family and community and for the providers of that care. That's why historically midwives have always been praised and lauded and supported. Historically, midwifery has been passed down through generations from mother to daughter, niece, aunt, cousin. It was passed on through your family. Those skills were learned empirically. You were chosen. It was deeper spiritually than it is now because it wasn't just a matter of let's just extract this child out of your body one way or another, whichever way, belly or bottom, just get it out. It wasn't that. It never has been until now and until in this country. So to be positive and to, to encourage folk, because of course many of us are still, not me, but many are facing childbearing maybe down the road still. What I try to do is have people recognize, just like you said here, 
Your power is already there. You did not sit down and plan when your period would show up. You did not sit down and plan when your menopause will show up. You did not sit down and plan when you, you know, all of these things that happen to your body because they happen to your body. Likewise, when pregnancy happens to your body, it happens and it does what it needs to do. Whether you know anything about your placenta or your, you know, lactation, you don't have to know any of that. Baby's in the belly, baby will grow. Placenta will grow, placenta will provide. Baby comes out of your bottom, gets on the breast, milk is produced, baby is nourished, end of story. You have no power <laughs> over that, right? So if you did nothing, if you knew nothing, your odds are pretty good because this is what's happened, which is why the world is as populated, populated as it is, right? So yes, we have got a mortality and a morbidity problem, but it's because we caused it. Wow. Um, yes, 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 yes. And I think it, wow, that's fascinating to me that it is, it's so blank, like we have caused the problem and it makes me, so in previous episodes, we have talked about almost this difference between, I think it was, was it might've been Michelle Hien who talked about the two lenses. So like we have the idea of being able to see things through like our Western science lens. And then there is, um, oh, it was not we'll Melissa. Just, Melissa, thank you. Um, uh, like a indigenous, almost empirical knowledge that you get from experience, right? It's, there's no other way about it. It's passed down. And I think that what I'm really hearing from you is, sorry, my dog is being a bit of a, um, but just that, um, you have these two lenses, right? The empirical lens, the Western lens versus the indigenous knowledge experiential lens. And I think that's very much what you're describing here is that almost like obstetrics and the medical industrial complex in and of itself has become so focused on finding, we have to prove that it's true. And those are the only things we can do that it loses that sense of confidence and intuitive knowing that comes from midwifery as a practice almost, right? Absolutely. And the other piece, which is, you know, there's the physiological, again, you know, the growing of the baby, the fetus, the placenta, the, you know, delivery, the lactating, all of these pieces, those are the physiological pieces. But the other pieces, um, and what you're referring to is the psychological and the emotional and the spiritual the lived experience is what we lost when we couldn't hand it down any further, any longer. And we lost it when we lost our extended families. But more importantly, what I found is, I think in this community-minded midwifery that I'm training folk in and that we're now trying to move forward and scale, the lived experience can still be found in the community supporters, right? These aren't necessarily midwives, but they're doulas, doulas who provide non-medical care and support, the community health workers, the lactation, the breastfeeding supporters, the childbirth educators, the um, holistic providers. They have lived experience and lived knowledge. And then there's also just that plain good old common sense that Miss Susie down the way, you know she knows. And she can say it in the way that makes sense to you as well. And you can trust her. So my school is called Common Sense Childbirth School of Midwifery. 
everything I do starts with common sense, right? So my organization is Common Sense Childbirth, but my school is Common Sense Childbirth School of Midwifery. Just so you know, it is the only, and it's the first, as far as we can tell, we're still researching, but it looks like it's the first black owned midwifery school in the entire United States, right? And we are now accredited, we got accredited in 2020. So it's an accredited midwifery school. But here's what I'm up to, returning trusted community-based providers to the communities that need them, trusted. We can rebuild trust when we depend on all these other things that you're talking about, Zara. We don't need to depend on the medical piece, that's in hand. The resources are there for high risk. The resources are also there for low risk. But what we have added to the picture is the wraparound support from people that you trust is the protective factor. So whether you're currently pregnant or not, you need to be enveloped into that trust. You need to know your resources in your communities. You need to know, and we've always known, but we've just kind of forgotten. And we've just kind of ignored. And we haven't accepted and acknowledged that that knowledge, that infinite wiseness, wisdom has been there. We just now need to re-remind remind ourselves and each other, go there first. Dig there, that well is deep. There's no shortage. We can rebuild our own communities based on trusted providers being there to guide us, to support us, to shepherd us. And then we can avail ourselves of whatever, midwife, obstetrician, perinatologist, whoever specialist we want, because we are girded up and supported around while we avail ourselves of those other services as well. We won't be swayed, we won't be fearful because we have the support that's been lacking. If giving a woman a minute to sit down and let her tell a story is enough to lock her cervix tight and keep a baby inside her belly, then that's my sense. Uh, that's what's working. Yes, absolutely. Being able to provide what people need. How can um, non-pregnant people or people who are child-free or not wanting to have children, how can they support this movement? This is kind of a two-parted question because we're running out of time. Um, but also I'd love to hear more of what you'd like to see, what something you'd like to see more of in the birth field and something you'd like to see less of in birth work or wellness in general. Well, I think um, everybody needs to be all hands on deck because if you nurture and support the childbearing people, you rebuild and strengthen community. So you don't have to be one of those people. You have to understand the importance of supporting and being there for those people. That's the easiest way in. Just be willing and open to chip in, step in, step up as called upon. So sometimes I give real tangible examples of that. So, you know, so-and-so needs a ride to the clinic. Okay, can you give her a lift or not? <laughs> yes, you can, no, you can't. That's it, it's that simple. Don't make it painful, don't make it complicated. Is there a way you can step in to say, I'm here for you, that's it that will begin that movement towards overall support. As far as what I wanna see more of, I wanna see uh, more of an openness to, it's not about I'm fighting for midwifery as the only way or the best way, 
and fighting for equity. And I wanna see more of an understanding of what equity looks like in the childbearing ecosystem. So I'm about building infrastructure. That's what I'm up to right now. I'm talking about, we need to have our buildings. We need to own our stuff. We need to train our providers. We need to dig in. I want that community space. I wanna be in that community space. That's where I feel like we can come alongside with a system that will come, you know, rather than take over, I'm not trying to burn it all down like I used to be, you know, like get, let's go down and just <laughs> march on the hospital. I'm done with that. I'm let's come alongside. We need the hospitals. We need those physicians. Let's come alongside. I want that community space to grow and to be strengthened in ability to provide health support and services in maternal health care. And what I want less of is obviously less racism, less classism, less sexism. Let's stop the gender discrimination. Let's just, that needs to go. Eliminate right now. There is no excuse to keep going on. How many centuries are we gonna be acting like this? It's done. Let's just call it off and let's grow and support our families and our communities to the fullest. That's what we could do. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for uh, everything that you shared. And where can people get in touch with you? Real easy. You can find me at commonsensechildbirth.org. So one word, common sense, one word, childbirth. Org. So that's how I do. I spell it the English way. <laughs> it's all in one. CommonSenseChildbirth.org. And you can see our work. We have the school. We have the movement building work of the national work that we do. We have the local clinic. We have the birthing center. And of course, you have me running around talking because I love to talk about this all day long. So everything starts at CommonSenseChildbirth.org. You can jump off from there wherever you're interested. And we take donations there too. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. So this is our post-interview with Jenny. And I just feel so inspired listening to Jenny talk. And I learned so much. And I just really feel the humanity and everything that Jenny shared about her work. and. I don't know. I just have a lot of appreciation for the fact that I live during the same time that Jenny is alive. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like Jenny is so awesome that I'm like, wow, I'm so glad to be alive in the same time as someone like her. Um, I am feeling very similarly. And I'm someone who, again, I've known Jenny for, I don't know, so many years, so, so many years. Oh my God, more than 20 years, too many years. Um, <laughs> I'll stop saying that. Stop saying years. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I've always known, because I spent time as a kid growing up in that practice and just knowing Jenny throughout my life, that like she was really awesome and the work she was doing was really cool and inspirational in so many ways. Um, well, actually, growing up as a kid, I thought that it was a normal thing, but but that's besides the point. That's because that was my framework as a child. But like um, knowing that she did all these cool and important things is like really cool. And I'm also in awe of her now realizing, I don't know, it's nice to see all of the, 
radical people that you know growing up who like have shaped your view in a way where it's like oh I didn't notice that oh wow your like beliefs and your work is really integrated into how I see the world and I think that's really special um so yeah uh, this is like me what is it smug charlotte I was watching and just like that this weekend um and they because I didn't have anything else to do um not because it's good but they call her Smug Charlotte when she talks about something. And that's how I feel saying that I've known Danny forever. I'm Smug Charlotte right now. Um, no, but I do. I feel really grateful to see uh, the work and speak with someone who can share with us so much that we didn't know and stuff that we did know and explain the why almost, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And yeah, I just... I don't know. I just feel like there, there are no words to capture like the power in what, you know, Jenny shared with us. And it's probably going to be the type of podcast episode that I'm going to want to listen to multiple times, just because just so much that she shared. And I just love the passion in her voice when she shared everything. I just, I mean, you know, you know, me and Zara, like we're passionate. And so that passion is just really beautiful to see in someone else as well. Absolutely. I love the passion and I love the practicality of it because there is nothing sexier in the whole world than someone who's really passionate about advocacy and for that advocacy to be practical. You know what I mean? Like common sense childbirth and like the way that I love, I wish we had had more time to talk to about like the JJ way, the Jenny Joseph way where the four pillars where it's like access, community, education, the third one might be wrong, and empowerment. And it's like from providing women with those four seemingly very basic things, or not just women, but people who are reproducing, um, people, how do you say, people who are pregnant. Thank you. I forgot the word pregnant for a second. Oof, it's been a long day. Um, but like to, when you're just providing pregnant people with those four very simple pillars, birth rate, birth complications, death rates, all these things are going down. And it's like, oh, right. Because the issue isn't that we don't have the knowledge or the tools. It's that we've forgotten the humanity piece of it. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I think, gosh, she mentioned, she mentioned some stats early on, on the podcast and it like kind of blew my mind because she would share these stats and then she'll be like, and we're the most resourced country in the world. And I'm like, yeah, shit. (laughs) Like there is definitely something wrong with how we're doing things. And I'm just so grateful for her for providing like basically another way, another, like a solution, like solutions, but also just like, this is another way of doing things. And because that's like what this whole project, this podcast is about at Thoughtful Wellness Revolution is we want to show folks that there are other ways and there are ways to bring humanity back into wellness in whatever field um, that you may be in. And, you know, there's a way to bring back humanity into how you live and the relationships you have with folks around you, the community, um, which, you know, Jenny is really big on with talking about birth work and community. And that like also really, I felt like clarified some things for me as well. Um, and we talk about that more 
in the bonus episode. And so I'm just going to plug this really fast here, you know, sign up, subscribe to our Substack for $5 a month for the bonus episodes um, in which we talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. I also want to add that we are thinking of adding some other fun bonus content coming soon, hopefully that I'm not going to disclose too much about, but it is exciting and we are excited about that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Being able to provide common sense, practical care that is community oriented is just, I don't know. It's, it's wonderful. It's magical. It's so uplifting to hear. And I also think it's a reminder of why we do this podcast, because like, like you were saying, like to uplift people who are doing it and are providing answers. It's also for all of us listening and for all of us, maybe not doing it or doing it in a different field or different way is like, there are already people doing the stuff. White supremacy has us believing in perfection culture and, you know, has us believing that we have to be the one to solve the problem. People are already creating solutions and or have solutions we just need to be united with them and figure out what our space is working with that. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent to that. Um, and I think also what you're speaking to Zara is just thinking about like solidarity. Like it's kind of funny the way I'm about to say this, but now I'm like, I'm actually legit thinking about how I can be in solidarity, and that's not a word that Jenny used, but I think basically when she's talking about community, it's like, how can I be in solidarity with the pregnant people in my community? How can I be in solidarity with families um, and not see them as separate from me, who's like a single woman, who's child-free, you know, that they're also part of my community, um, which is so wild. Like the way I put that, that sounds really funny, but it, I have to ask myself that because I have been raised and living in a culture where we and again we say this I feel like we say this word like in every post-interview episode but like we kind of compartmentalize different aspects of our life and our wellness um and so I'm just thinking again a little bit more holistically is that these people around me yeah their lives and their families may look different than mine right now but they are part of my community and they do deserve to be supported I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I also think it's interesting that we have such a different perspective on it because, and maybe, I don't know if it's a background in education, because we have similar, we're similar in a lot of ways, but I, I am obsessed with pregnant people and babies and children, like in maybe a weird way where if I see one, it's like all I can think about and I just want to talk to them and support them. Um, which is like great because that's what we should be doing because I think of it so much as like you have the future you're the with the future right now this is the future like what you do right now and what you do in this child's life is so much going to impact the world we live in and that's the thing that really like drives me but it is exactly what she was saying and I think it's like a, an important shift for everyone to have because it's not like I have the right wrong mindset and you have the wrong mindset because I think that's again white supremacist dichotomy um but like yeah the idea that we can because maybe I don't need to be so obsessed with pregnant people and just let them have their space because they're growing humans and <laughs> where other people would like oh I don't recognize them to be like oh right you are you're building the future and that's important too um <laughs> yeah yeah, well, I mean, I should say, I just, because I feel like, <laughs> I, I don't want people on a podcast or listening to podcasts and think that I, like, hate babies or pregnant well, people. And that's but... why I had to say, because I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I guess with me, it's like, I have 
um, a big extended family. So I will say like in terms of like community, I do have a big extended family who on my mom's side, I mean, also my dad's side, but I'm just closer to my mom's side and we're all in the same area. And so growing up, I was the oldest child on my mom's side. And so I'm like the older big cousin or whatever. And so I saw a lot of my aunts get pregnant and have babies. And I have a lot of little cousins who, you know, Zara, I talk about my cousins to you. We, we try to like discover their, you know, yeah, <laughs> types and all that. And so, um, you know, I was around babies a lot and children a lot growing up just because I was the oldest and was around my aunts when they were pregnant. And, you know, I love them, right? So it's not like I'm some asshole who just like hates pregnant people and babies, but I just think like, I feel that way because they're my family, but when it's people who are not my family, I just like, don't feel much at all. So it's not like I like dislike them, but I'm just kind of like, okay, cool. Like another, okay, you're going to have another kid or like, there's another family or like whatever. And it's just this sort of like, um, I I don't want to say like, I'm purposely differing myself from them, but I think on some unconscious level that happens if it's like, oh yeah, it's like that person like has a family and, and like all the, like, I don't know, suburban dreams that come with it. And I, you know, am four. So I'm in like this existential world. And also like, to be honest, um, not so much now, but definitely envy was a big part as well. When I was younger, um, I remember as a young adult, I used to be very envious of folks who I see in my head. I thought they had it all and simply because they were married and had a job they loved and had a baby. <laughs> and I just thought like, wow, that is it. And I can never get that because I'm too weird for anyone to really love me. And, and I'm a four and I'm from a broken family and all that. Um, and so there was also that as well. Um, a lot of that I have now since healed, but there is still the sense of like, okay, like, yeah, if it's my family, I pay a, a lot of attention to you. But if it's just some random person that I don't, who's not in my family, I just kind of don't, it's not that I like dislike them or anything. I just like really don't think about it and don't really care about, you know, when people post about their pregnancy or their kids, I might like the photo, but I don't really like feel connected to it, if that makes sense. Um, but now I'm feeling like, oh, but I should because they're a part of my community. Cause this person, uh, when I'm talking about this, it's like people in my community, you know, it's like, I should feel connected to that. Like I should be like rooting for them and their kids and, and the success of their family. Cause they're in my freaking community. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all. <laughs> I guess, I mean, that's a lot, but yeah. Yeah, no, no. And I love that. And I appreciate the clarification. Cause I also didn't mean it in the way of like, I love babies and you hate babies. <laughs> I'm a good woman and you're a bad woman. Um, <laughs> Uh, just, I think in the sense of the way, I don't know, just bring it back to what Jenny's talked about as like the institutional, the institution of birthing in America makes it an isolated experience versus a communal experience and bringing it back to the communal piece, I think is really what you're talking about is like, oh, right. We're all a community. And I think that's that's all we want for pregnant people is for you to feel in community and supported and have access and the other pillar that I can't remember <laughs> um, so that we can build a better world, man. 
Fuck, I love kids so much. I'm trying not to like well up with tears and think about how much I really like kids. And like that this is the that's why I really love Jenny's work and this work in general is like I always say this thing during coaching, which I don't really do anymore. So I guess I don't say it as much anymore, but that everyone is just a little kid inside. You know what I mean? And so when you start treating people not in a pejorative way or in a like dismissive way where it's like yeah you're a little kid just like when people are being an asshole it's much easier to be like right this is a child that hasn't learned how to process this versus like they don't like me or whatever thing may be coming up about that because it's usually like a you thing and so it's like midwifery and children and education and birth work it's just all stuff that ties to really fostering a society where those little kids that grow up to be all of us are <laughs> able to process and share things in a way that's helpful. And we don't have to have temper tantrums and throw and hit things and, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, yeah. So as now everyone on this podcast knows, I am truly obsessed with children in a way that is, I don't know, a little, it would be super weird if I were a cishet man, I'm just saying, <laughs> I, or perceived that way. I don't know. I don't think it's weird. I think like, I don't know. I always feel like there's always, I don't know, just in my world growing up. Yeah. There's always people around me who enjoyed being around kids, you know, and that's why they are say my teachers, right. Growing up my teachers and the school staff and my mentors, and it wasn't in a weird way, but they also really loved kids. Um, and <laughs> I love kids who are in my family and I love kids as an idea, but in terms of like interaction, I feel like they need to be 10 and up for me to fully get along with them. Like I just, I'm outing myself as whatever you want to call it. But like, you know, I have, I have experienced working with middle school and high school and I love that. Like, I love teaching to that age group a little bit younger than that. I think that's more um, Zara's territory. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I And I love those kids, but I also recognize that when, and this is not a blame on parents as specifics, but more of the institution of raising families in this country, um, that when children are, we'll say just emotionally neglected, um, in a way, because so many of us are like basically our entire generation was starved of emotional <laughs> fulfillment, which is why we're all traumatized. Um, in addition to other things, obviously. Um, but I do struggle a lot with kids when they're not well, when they don't have the tools or the capacity to listen, to understand the tools, I really struggle to interact with them. Um, <laughs> so That's it's fair. It's, yeah, we're not without that because I, I know I can think of some kids right now where I'm just like, oh, not you again, <laughs> even though I do love them. And for like an hour and a half, I'm like, you're the best thing in the whole world. And then they're overtired and they have a meltdown. And I'm like, I'm going to give you back now. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I, I think that is more than fair. Um, but Zara, what's what's on your mind outside of the conversation we just had with Jenny? Um, well, it is the last day in February. And I have spent the weekend, it's a Monday, I have spent the weekend doom scrolling about um, uh, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. 
And we have discussed this stance beforehand because we are not nuanced in this subject or area to discuss it. So I will say no way. It's because I think it's I think it's because we are nuanced enough that we want to say we don't know enough. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we don't know enough to have a conversation about what is going on in the Ukraine and Russia, other than the fact that we are anti-war and anti-imperialistic and that there is just so much propaganda flying around all the time. And yeah, Um, so I guess a thing that is also on my mind is media literacy and how we just truly need to be getting that out there. I bought a book by George Orwell today called uh, The Politics of the English Language or Politics of Language. Um, Very short read, but is about media literacy. So that is what's on my mind. What's on your mind today? Thank you, Zara, for sharing all that. Um, I think what's on my mind today is it's raining a lot. Like it's, and, and I live in a place that rains a lot, but it is raining. It feels more and harder than it has in a while. Um, and so that's funny that that is what just what's on my mind, but what's on my mind is just the fact that like I go on my weather app and where I live and it just says it's a hundred percent chance of rain um basically until let's see when it stops or when it begins to come down well it's like a hundred percent chance of rain for like the next like two hours then it drops to 90 percent. but we all know people who live where I live in the Seattle area we all know that means it's gonna rain uh and then at around midnight it drops to 80 percent but basically it's going to rain the whole night. That's basically what I'm saying. Like it, I think it goes down to maybe 70%. Um, but I'm just thinking about the rain. I'm just thinking about the rain um, and the weather being kind of gloomy and it's funny, but I don't hate it at least this time. Like I hate the idea of it raining a lot in general, even though I live here funny enough, but I, I'm feeling like that sort of like, I want to go into like, Uh, a cafe and like get a coffee or a latte and sit down with a book and be like the cool mysterious girl like and that's such a four fantasy I'm sure other fours know what I mean but that's kind of like the vibe I'm feeling um I love that for you and I think you should 100% do that um uh you don't think you don't think I'm kind of pretentious for that as a four (laughs) like I mean, I think it's better to establish an aesthetic and do something in the rain than it is. Cause like, okay, so in Florida, I know it rains a lot. Okay, before climate change has really shifted all the weather patterns for us in Florida, it used to be a thing in central Florida, every single day it would rain at 4 p.m. in the summer that you had the morning to do something then it would be too hot, then it would rain and then you'd have the evening, cool. Um, and so we all knew that. And I think we could plan our days around that. Now in Florida, you don't know. It says it's going to rain. Maybe it'll rain. Maybe it won't rain. So I just stay in all day and do nothing. So I think adopting a, like a moody four girl aesthetic to be like, I'm actually going to do something with this day instead of just like, wait to see if it rains. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a great idea and not pretentious at all. 
Thank you. Thank you for indulging in my four fantasies. <laughs> I, I love you for that, Zara. You're always so supportive. Um, and yeah, is I mean, it supportive or is it enabling? That's a question <laughs> we'll explore on another episode of Thoughtful Wellness Revolution. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know what? I, I, so I wonder because like, you know, you and I talk about the Enneagram and like try like type people and whatnot. Like, I wonder if ever, because you're like involved in the Enneagram world and we've integra- interviewed Enneagram people is if one day um, like an, another Enneagram expert teacher person will like listen to our podcast and like analyze like this is how Zara's being a two and this is how Hans being a four <laughs> like I just like I just think that'd be so funny like if you ever do uh, that let me know a hundred percent that will be a thing and if you do that please I'd love please send me notes or like make me laugh um, send us notes and make us laugh but I know that people do it because I do it every I have been obsessed with podcasts this past year because you know a lot of mental and physical health days but like being able to listen and be like oh yeah 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 I can I can feel you've got some anxiety there but is it like you're afraid of people not liking you or are you like afraid of like the security being like trying to figure out like why and then based on like personal stories people tell and like I kind of just try to figure out what their type is I obviously don't send them messages and say like I think you're this type and (laughs) uh yeah but I do think it's it's fascinating and I'm sure I hope someone will do it with us yeah (laughs) yeah please I'm I'm so curious like please tell me like please call me out on it too if you're like oh when you said that that was a very fourth thing because of blah 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 because I'm like yeah tell me about it (laughs) like I'm so curious um and and the dynamic between a two and a four is always really interesting um as for the people who know the Enneagram, I'm sure you know. For the people who don't, well, I don't know. You can Google it or something. But I find it really interesting. Yeah. Um, when also, if you're going to email us, don't be fucking pretentious. Um, <laughs> nobody wants a prescriptive, this is what you're doing wrong. You point out funny things. And then you create some, you give some insight if it's relevant. Don't be rude. <laughs> oh yeah so that that's basically all we're saying um email us at thoughtfulwellnessrevolution at gmail.com if you can if you notice our enneagram types coming out <laughs> um and don't be rude please don't be and, rude yeah. I will get upset with you and as you can hear in my very stern voice I will yeah yeah and so Zara is there anything else you want to share no (laughs) no I Um, love that yeah yeah I'm sure there is or maybe there isn't I don't know I I'm done how about you that's good that's great you know what I'm done too and uh of course we're just hoping that everyone um is doing well and thank you everybody we love you and see you next time bye for now Thank you for listening to the Thoughtful Wellness Revolution podcast. For bonus content, you can go to thoughtfulwellnessrevolution.substack.com and subscribe for $5 a month. You can also follow us on Instagram at Thoughtful Wellness Revolution to share your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you're listening.